0: Good morning. Uh, I'm Kathy Gorley, I, um, I'm not qualified to give a sermon. I'm not a minister, but I'm a psychologist, so I'm qualified to give you a talk. <laughs> and so today, um, I've got the mic and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of this is a, a real treat for me. And um, how am I doing? Okay. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Oh, good. That's it's nice. Okay. <laughs> So, last week, uh, Laura started um, a talk about, she, she talked about how to uh, start, you know, fulfill your relationships with other people to express your appreciation to them. And this week, I'm going to talk to you about speaking the love language of your loved ones. A lot of what I'm going to be talking about is going to be relating to couples, but it also relates to those who are not a couple, who it's just about your love language in, in, with people that you know. And so much of my book, much of my di- talk is going to be based on uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. And, and during this talk, I'm going to not only share the love languages with you, but I'm also going to give you some ideas of things to avoid in your relationships and then I'm going to give you some real-life examples of couples' work that I've done and see if, uh, how those apply, the, the love languages apply to those people. Um, I, I want to start this today with the passage from Corinthians. It's uh, uh, Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels but have not love... I become as a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But then I shall know just also as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God spoken to the people of God. Thanks be to God. I thought that was a a great passage to begin this talk about love languages because I think it clearly demonstrates that love is an active choice that we make. It it can be work, uh, and 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 uh, you know it's important to understand speaking the love language of the people that you love, because if you don't, you can be careening down life's highway headed for divorce. I mean, and, and there's a high incidence of divorce in the world today. Uh, the first marriages, they say, an estimate of forty to fifty percent people get divorced. Second marriage, sixty percent. Third marriage, 75%. So why, does that, why is that level going up over time? I would posit to you that, that one of the reasons for that is because we don't learn what we did wrong or how we can do things differently. You know, Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And I would say to you that probably in therapy, the greatest, is the greatest predictor of a good outcome in therapy is your desire to change, your desire to do something different. Because change, if you want it to occur, starts with you. Um, you know, as a psychologist and just as a person, we all know that we need to feel loved. It's kind of a basic human need. So I want you to to just recall for a moment your first love, the first time you kind of felt that spark of love. You know, I, I know for me, I'm going to confess something that you know when 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 I met Jack, I kind of get butterflies and kind of get excited just about seeing him and and. <laughs> <laughs> And and have a further confession to make. In my beginning academic career, I wasn't that serious a student. But he was, and he made really good grades. So because I wanted to be with him, I went to study sessions. And, and, <laughs> and while that had a really good outcome for me, it didn't bode so well for Jack. I made the dean's list, and he made his first D. And, you know, I don't think his mom ever really forgave me for that. (laughs) Anyway, you know, that being in love doesn't last forever. In fact, they say that it might last for like maybe two years. out. But eventually you learn that that partner of yours, that friend of yours, has feet of clay. That there are some things you just don't like that much about them. And that's when you discover that if you're going to love somebody, you're going to have to work at this. And and this is also the time when there's the potential for what we call agape love. And agape love is love that is freely given, unconditional. It's not like what I'm going to get back from it. I'm doing this because I love you. I care about you. And, and if, you're, if you have children, the, the, the couple is not the only people that, that, you know, benefit from this agape love. Children do. Because they're observing you. You know that. They're watching everything that you do. And so whatever they observe in you, that's their model for how they're going to go into the world they're going to go into the world saying if your family is not demonstrative or, or or doesn't express words of love that's that's how you do it unless you make a an ops, an a, you know a, an intention to to change that and if you make an intention to change it it can be different or if you never receive words of affirmation that may be the very love language that Dr. Gary Chapman's talking about love language is what you do for the other person to make them feel loved it might not be your love language but you have to recognize it is their love language so um, he says there's a primary and a secondary love language for me my primary love language is quality time And my secondary one is a real close one. It's acts of service. Those two kind of really meld together for me. So what does quality time look like? Quality time is not necessarily watching TV and reading while your friend or partner is talking to you. It means giving them your undivided attention. And you know, quality time is can be an activity together. It can be gardening. It can be taking a walk. And, and for those that have kids, you know, sometimes bedtime is not a quality time. But I want to give you three little tips about ways to improve bedtime quality, make that a quality time for your kids. And this is a little ritual that you would do with your kids in the evening. You ask them these three, or you share these three things between you and the child. What I did today. That's good. Something that's important to me. And what I like about you. And the thing that's really inspiring is to see their faces light up when you start to tell them, you know what I like about you? You know, that is quality time. The second one is acts of service. Now, sometimes acts of service are just rolling up your sleeves, seeing that your partner needs something, your friend needs something, and doing it for them. You know, it could be cooking a meal. It can be going to the grocery store. My husband told me that listening to my service today was an act of service. (laughs) Thank you, honey. but, you know, if you don't know what the, if, if acts of service is not your deal, but it's your partners or your friends, ask them, what can I do to help? Give me 10 things and then prioritize them and then let them watch you go to work trying to fulfill those acts of service. Okay, so, so the third one here is words of affirmation. That's words of encouragement, uh, kind words. Uh, you know, if it's not your love language, think of, think of things that you, you admire about your friend or your partner or your spouse. Write them down. Write them a love note. You know, I know you're having a hard time. I want you to know I believe in you. I love you. That maybe takes a minute, but it can have an enduring effect on your relationship Uh, another gift is a gift of presence you know when I went through a really painful surgery I remember really distinctly waking up out of this stupor and every time I did Jack was there giving me little ice chips that was a gift of his presence to me um Oh that's that's on gifts. I'm sorry. I skipped over. Uh gifts gifts are something that's universal. They they're in every culture. Uh, that's the way of expressing love to others. If if you're if you're married, you wear a wedding band, that's an outward gift of of love. And so if you if you don't know what gifts if gifts are not your thing but they're your partner's thing, your your friend's thing, then you know kind of observe what they like. It can even be Picking someone a flower, that's a, that's a gift that's, that says that I'm carrying you in my thoughts and I thought about you with this. Sorry, and then we go to physical touch and I think that's kind of self-explanatory. That can be hugs or, you know, love pats, uh, massage. Uh, physical touch is sort of a fundamental thing and it's a, it can be an affirming way of saying I love you. If it's, if it's not easy for you, you're teachable. You know, if you can do this, you can do this, you know, with time, with practice. All right, so how do you get started? Sometimes it means that you need to make an apology. If you need to make an apology, make it, and then go about saying, how can I, how can I be a better friend? How can I be a better spouse for you? And, um, you know, you have to recognize that that, that your love languages are uh, are important to your friends. Um, sorry. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof." So I want you to think for a moment. Is your communication life giving or is it negative? Uh, Dr. John Gottman uh, is a psychologist who's written a lot and done a lot of studies about marriage and family, and he says that that the negative, when the negative outweighs the positive, you're on shaky ground. In fact, he gives a ratio. He's a mathematician, too. He gives a ratio of five positive to one negative. For every five positive, uh, for every negative thing that's said, Five po- it takes five positive to negate that, to outweigh that. So if, if you are, if your communications are predominantly negative, you're walking on shaky ground. And, and he points to what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse for marriages. And when these things are your dominant way of communicating with each other, you're walking on shaky ground there they are. The first one is criticism. Criticism is different from um, complaints. You know, we all are going to have differences of of opinion. We're different people. And so he doesn't, nobody is going to say to you, you're not going to have differences of opinion, and you're not going to have conflict. You are. You're going to have conflict. You're different. The important thing is to be able to work that through. A a complaint is something like, it starts with I. A criticism starts with you. I would like to spend more time with you. Versus, you never spend enough time with me. You hear the difference? The second is contempt. The difference between contempt and criticism is the intention to harm, to hurt, to insult. It's hostile. And so, you know, con- contempt can be extremely damaging. And if that is a predominant way of your interacting, look at that. The, the third one is defensiveness. And that's when you've had, you've had some conflict, but you're not getting resolution to it because you're cross-complaining. You know... You, you left the light on all night. Well, you left the sprinkler on last week. You know, it, there's no sort of like, well, okay, how do, we, how do we fix this? It's okay to have the conflict, but, get, but, but, but not, to have, not, not to have a pattern of defensiveness. And then the very last one is stonewalling. And stonewalling is defined as sort of removing yourself. Now, there are times in conflict... That it is very important to remove yourself. You're too stirred up. You need to kind of cool off, reapproach. Go to your room. <laughs> you know, you need you need to reapproach this thing. And so, um, so, so being able to do that is important. But if that is your dominant way of interacting, you've got problems. All right, so. Um, now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some applications of what I've talked to, to what I've already explained to you and, and talk about how it related to some couples sessions and because I honor confidentiality, names are changed, identities, certain features, but the context the, the, the content of this is relevant and And I also want to say before starting to describe these that uh, although I think the five love languages is, are wonderful, I, I don't see them as a panacea for, you know, you know the five love languages, you're in. You know, it's over, you're done, it's okay. Because I think there are times when everybody needs extra help. And, you know, when you face things like uh, addictions or adultery or financial issues or health concerns or trauma, parenting... And, and you can't come to, you know, find solutions for yourself, it's, it's okay to get help. It's good to, it's good to do that. And knowing the five love languages helps you in your communication. You see what I'm talking about? So the, the first couple that I want to talk about are Susan and Kurt. Uh, Susan grew up in a family that, um, you know, it was, it was what we call conditional love. You got approval if you performed. Not just performed, but performed excellently. And if you didn't, you didn't. Uh, her, Her dad left when she was like five years old. And so one of the things that she grew up longing for was words of affirmation. Does that make sense? You know, she wanted, not conditionally, she just wanted someone to tell her she was Great, you know, really appreciated what she did and and that sort of thing. She says, he does things for me, but he never tells me how he feels. Well, Kurt was a scientist. He grew up in a family that was non-affectionate and non-expressive. And he said, Words are cheap. You know, action is the thing that counts. In fact, I don't trust people when they tell me something. I think that they might—they might, might just be, you know—I I don't really trust their sincerity about it. So you can see how this collided here. She's wanting words of affirmation, and he doesn't want to talk. You know, he's wanting action. His words of his his love language was physical touch and words of action. I mean, words of words of service. I mean. Act, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so, so once they, they began to identify this logjam they were in and started actually making an active effort to speak the love language of their partner, things began to smooth out. Things began to kind of roll easier. Uh, the second example I'm going to use is Helen and Scott. Um, Helen had uh, her parents divorced early in her life and there was a lot of hostile communication throughout those years and and she came into therapy saying I am so angry with my husband and resentful of him because we both have full-time jobs we 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 both you know there's house to be cleaned there's kids to be taken care of and and I do all the work and he just sits and watches me he goes he watches me work and then he goes and works out then he complains about how I'm not physical with him and how I you know all I do is work housework and uh and so you know her her love language was you know acts of service and words of affirmation. He criticized her because she'd gained weight after having the baby, babies. He, on the other side, was, grew up in a family of, you know, a large family, and and he said, you know what, all she does is housework. She doesn't give me any time. When she's not available to me physically, emotionally, or spiritually, I feel totally cut off. And you know, and she and and so she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. So you know, it became sort of evident upon examination of this further is that this this couple spent no time together. They came home, they didn't agree on parenting, they didn't agree on duties at home, they had no opportunity for communication. Both of them had, had had extramarital affairs to try to meet their love language. That hadn't been satisfied, satisfactory either. So, so what did they do? Well, first of all, you know, they had to make a decision as to whether they were going to stay married, right? And then after they made that decision they needed to ask themselves these three questions about the infidelity why did i do it what could i have done differently and how will i avoid doing this in the future so after they had made that choice they made and, and forgiveness is a choice right you choose to forgive After they made that choice and they chose to stay married, then they went about identifying what was wrong in their lives and setting goals to change it. And so, you know, they started sharing responsibilities for home. They started sharing parenting responsibilities. They had started having dinner together as a family most evenings. They had a regular bedtime for their kids and they made time for each other. They recognized that they needed to speak each other's love language and they needed to be committed to doing that. And I think that probably the one of the greatest things that they had going for them was their love of God. That when they were challenged, they'd pray together and they and they worked, they courted each other. They'd go on dates. They they'd kind of you know, go on walks, tell stories that they hadn't shared with the other one about their childhood or their life, and their and their marriage became stronger. But it took work, didn't it? Yeah, it took a lot of work. And, and now, the last couple that I'm going to talk to you about is um, Mike and Diane. Uh, Diane had grown up in a family. Uh, not a family. Uh, she, she'd she grown up with just her mom um, and a lot of emotional and physical abuse as she was growing up. Uh, she never knew who her father was and uh, there were a, a lot of men who lived in her home while she was growing up. So when she left home at 18, she was feeling pretty empty and not loved and she found herself repeating the same sort of mistakes that she'd observed with her her mom. Uh, she met Mike, and then shortly after uh, she got pregnant and they got married, and she said he, he never told her that he loved her. She, she came into therapy initially saying, I want to know how my childhood has affected my adulthood. I, I want to know how to make better choices. Uh, I want to become more assertive and and grow my self-esteem. I want to feel better about who I am. I really want to work at this. She was concerned about Mike because Mike was emotionally, and he had a violent temper, and and he had drug and alcohol issues. So there there was Diane trying to kind of like work on this, right? She was really in there wanting to change things. And then there's Mike, and Mike came from a family, they'd been, his mom and dad had been married for 57 years, but it had been a very critical, his, his dad was always critical of mom. And when there was conflict in the family, arguments were not about trying to, kind of find, to find resolution to it, it was about winning. You know, you argued to win. Uh, he had been a uh, an athlete at a prestigious college, and so he was really kind of thought that he was still pretty special, and when I asked him what his goals were in therapy, he said, I like myself. <laughs> you know, she's the one that needs help. <laughs> I mean, I could lose 20 pounds. I, it hurts my knees to run and stuff, but... She's just fat and a whiner yeah that's what that's what he said. love language <laughs> and 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 uh and he said, and about my drinking, my job is stressful, okay? If I want to get hammered, I will. <clears throat> so there you go, this is my work. all right, so. You know, the, the sessions with them were extremely volatile, extremely volatile. The four horsemen were galloping in full on. You know, there was criticism, there was contempt. He, 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 he was contemptuous about her character, her body, her personality. There was defensiveness between the two of them, never any kind of resolution And then stonewalling. When she'd make an attempt to be assertive or to kind of stand her ground, he'd stonewall her. You know, there might be days he wouldn't speak to her. Sometimes weeks, really, literally weeks. And so, you know, this didn't pretend to a a good end here. And, And while I'm an advocate for marriage, I think there's definitely... Very good cases for divorce, and this was a good case. So um, to summarize here, I, I want to just say that that no one, no one teaches us how to be married, do they? And or how to raise kids. It, it's sort of trial by fire. Sometimes we just oh man, I'm doing it. And then other times we just do a nose plant, you know, just really, oh my God, can't believe I did that. But I, but I want you to keep in mind, regardless of those nose plants, that we're teachable. If we decide we want to change things, we can change them. And, and so today I've, I've talked to you about the five love languages. I want you to kind of keep those in your head this week. I've I've told you about the ratio of five to one, keeping five positive to one negative, right? I've given you the idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We don't want them. And so last week, uh, Laura gave you a homework assignment of of expressing your appreciation. And this week, I want to give you a homework assignment of discovering love language, discovering the love language of your friends, your partner, your spouse. Find out what that is, and then go do it. Work at it. Because the impact of that can have such an enormous effect on your uh, emotional life. So, you know... I, I don't know if this has piqued your interest to explore this further, but if it has, I think you, it's in the program today. But we're going to start a seven-week study starting February 28th, and it's going to be a couples uh, a couples study uh, on the five love languages. Uh, Jack and I are going to be the co-leaders of this. We've done some other couples uh, uh, enrichment courses before and it's been a lot of fun in fact I see some graduates here today Um, but uh, it's going to be a seven-week course and I think it's a lot of fun I think it'll give you an opportunity to not just um, have you know enrich your own communication but it's also a chance to outside of church to get to know some other couples and to kind of share so Um, Now, if you will, that concludes my talk. Um, Will you bow your heads for a closing prayer? Thank you. Heavenly Father, you are our teacher on how to love. Please open our hearts and minds so that we may learn how to express love in ways that are meaningful to others. Through you, all things are possible. Amen.